Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Okay, when I saw your questionnaire to be on the show, I was like, I need to meet this woman because number one, you're a foodie. So we're already friends. And number two, you're a female in technology, especially cybersecurity. And I thought, there's going to be an interesting conversation. So I want to welcome Kristen Demo-Ranville to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. And I think this is going to be a really fun conversation. We were giggling before we hit record. So I know it's going to be good. Are you ready? I am, Deb. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've I've known you for all of five minutes, and I'm already excited. So (laughs) I want you to share. We we shake things up every year on this show, and my team's like pushes me into the land of discomfort. So your bio is amazing. I would love you to give a brief overview to our listeners of of who you are and, and what you're doing these days as a CEO of your own business. Sure. Thank you for that. Um, I already feel empowered just, you know, being here for that purpose alone. Uh, yes, as you said, my name is Kristen Demaranville. I've had a uh, 25-year uh, journey through technology. Um, I started in IT. I worked through um, security. I worked for multiple companies, multiple international companies, did the consulting route, both in IT and security for a bit. Um, I've spent a lot of time in manufacturing, um, specifically food, uh, semiconductor, and electronic. Um, ultimately, factories are very similar. Stuff comes in one way, gets mixed up, and comes out a different way. So um, once you say you're manufacturing, you could pretty much cover the gambit. Um, I have a degree in environmental management, which has nothing to do with what I do every day, but it actually informs what I do every day, which is very strange because I was an adult learner. And later, after the, the tech crash in 2008, I think, 2009, um, I went back to school full-time as an adult learner and said, that's it. I don't want to get a degree in technology. I want to round myself out in something different. Um, I've always loved um, nature and wildlife and all these things, so I figured I better get a degree around that. Um, while I was doing that, I had the absolute honor and privilege of working with a bachelor troop of gorillas uh, for almost two oh, years. Wow. Um, I studied uh, them to determine if they were going to be able to work together as a unit rather than, mm. you know, injured each other, hurt each other because they're all bachelors stuck in one place. Um, So we were studying cortisol levels and things like that. Um, Absolutely amazing. I learned so much about behavior, uh, not from watching gorillas, but watching humans watch gorillas. Mm. And it really informed my security career on a whole other level. So um, people and process are always paramount to me. And uh, as I was going through my journey and my career, I started to see that we were lacking in certain areas. Um, and this is the evolution of my company, um, Anzen Sage. Um, I've spent a lot of time, obviously, in critical infrastructure, operational technology, mm-hmm. security, things like that. 
And I started to wonder why we kept focusing so heavily on oil and gas and automotive. And I realized the obvious is we need lights and things run by power. Yes, Mm -hmm. I know that. However, I didn't see a lot of chatter about agriculture and the food industry and food production and water. I didn't see a lot of that chatter. And every time I started having those types of conversations, Deb, it led to, oh, well, the food industry doesn't have any money, so we don't bother with them or they're fine, whatever. We're not going to touch them. And then all of a sudden these ransomware attacks and hacks and everything else has started happening and they've really been hurting the food industry heavily to the point where the U.S. government was like, hello, we need to do a risk assessment of the entire supply chain, get with the people. And the food industry in the United States specifically is about 89% privately owned. So there's no like government or interference. So there's mm-hmm. really been a volunteer effort. But um, I started to see some similarities between the food protection side of the house. So think food safety, food security, Mm -hmm. food defense, Um, all those people that do an amazing job that you never see them and they Mm -hmm. keep you from being sick. Um, And the similarities between us and them in terms of cybersecurity and them. And I started to realize that cybersecurity is really part of food protection culture now or food safety culture because everything's gone digital. The entire process of food is automated it's automated. Um, I'm going to just crush everybody's dreams right now. It's not just a red barn with happy cows and farmers and and all these people doing analog things. They don't get up in the morning and milk a thousand cows that is done by machine. Your milk is not all from one cow. It is from all those cows in that thousand line. I think people need to start to understand where their food comes from. And in order to protect something, you have to have an understanding of it. Mm -hmm. So it's really been this interesting journey, not only of protecting the digital technology that's around food and food systems, but also educating people to realize that we are at a a different stage as humans. We don't have to slaughter our own animals personally. I mean, if you're a hunter, go for it. If you're a fisher, fisher person, go for it. That's great. But we have technology that does this for us. Mm -hmm. And how do we protect that? And so Anzen Sage was born because of that. Uh, Anzen, Anzen is the, the Japanese word for secure or safe. And Sage is a double play off of the herb or the herb. Um, and then obviously a wise person. And um, it's it's sort of this, not only is it this organization where I help companies by advising or whatever they need me to do necessarily, it's also sort of this movement where I'm I'm reminding people that, hey, we're here. We need to deal with this. Um, there's a problem um, there's a fox in the hen house is what I say a lot of the times because, you know, obviously food. There's so many food analogies I can make it on a daily basis. I probably bore people at this point for the amount of them I give. But um, that's how the company started. And I'm really excited to be on this journey because it keeps evolving. I've started the podcast, which is Bites and Bites. Um, I have had these amazing conversations. I mean, stuff that you just go away with and you are so touched on a, on a human level mm-hmm. and heart level to use yours, um, that it makes it, it makes me feel good to do what I do rather than just like I'm collecting a paycheck and have a nice day kind of thing. I That's why I wanted you on the show because I, <laughs> I, I, I knew we were going to have this conversation. Um, you're like a modern day Jane Goodall. I have actually met Jane Goodall. So I how how fascinating that her movie and yeah, how (laughs) how exciting for you that must have been because when you talked about doing the study with the gorillas, I you took me right there to that movie and to her and what a what a unique I love. 
the variance of your career and, and entrepreneurship trajectory. But what I really love is your analytical thinking, which here we go into my questions, because the first thing I want to talk about is you said to me, I'm curiosity driven and you have this curiosity that's insatiable. There's the foodie in you and it's fueled about technology and people and culture. Share with us how you keep that mindset going and evolving, because we all know as entrepreneurs, that's the, that's the golden nugget to continued success, hitting that next mountain. What keeps you in that right mind space and how do you get rid of the negative? I don't really think I don't uh, look at it as negative. The only negative I'll say is sometimes I get so curious that I really do follow the rabbit hole all the way down. And I'm like, oh goodness, uh, what time is it? You know, and then you realize you lost hours. Um, I think that's probably my negative to it. But I've always been curious. Why would you say that? Why would you think that? Why are you acting that way? How come we're doing it this way and we're not doing it that way? How come you haven't realized that everything's interconnected? And if you mess up on this side, this side's going to blow up too. How, uh, why are you thinking that way? Why are you stuck in silo land? Why aren't you mm-hmm. being more collaborative? Uh, why are you Why are you shameful about something? Am I making you feel that way? Who makes you feel that way? How do we deal with this? I often say that cybersecurity isn't necessarily about mitigating risk. It's about mitigating shame. Mm-hmm. You have to get past people's shame of they've done something wrong or they, mm-hmm. they don't know if they've done something wrong and there could be something there or there could be something shameful that they're not sure about. So they're going to preemptively be shameful in order to block the situation even more before you can even deal with it. This is why I say that people are the greatest risk at all times. It isn't because of what they do. It's because of what they are not saying or are not understanding. Um, or if they feel somehow slighted, they won't share information that they need to share. This is why it's important for that collaboration and that holistic understanding of people. And that's something that I, I just find people really curious you know, even when I watch TV or movies or things like that, I'm I'm constantly barking at the TV. I'm, my poor partner is like, just be quiet sometimes, you know, because I'm like, no, that guy is wrong. And he, that's exactly what I thought it was. And we were watching something last night. And I said, the the way that these actors can manipulate a situation. So you really are like, oh, that's misogyny. And like, you just like really get into it, you know. Um, They're doing their job well. Exactly. They're and evoking I, I, emotion, you know. What you talk about is is visionary leadership and you very much have it with a heart-centered approach and it's a gift and, and we have to tame it because we can get down those rabbit holes. And it leads nicely into my my second question. This question has permanent residency on the show. I've asked over 260 leaders this question. What imperfections does Kristen bring to her heart-centered leadership? Sometimes I can be too much of a bleeding heart, I think. Sometimes I can allow my emotional uh, experience of whatever's happening with my team or how it's happening around me to really affect me to the point where I almost forget why I'm there because I'm so caught up in that story. Um, That doesn't mean that I don't halt and turn back around and realize what I've done, but it also leads me to uh, be taken advantage of, I guess is what I'll say. And And that's a a great example. I learned it the hard way and I probably will continue to learn that one, but I won't, I don't want to change myself for who I am because if I'm having an emotional response to something that's important for me to understand and be curious about. Absolutely. Um, same time. Well said. Okay. Third leadership question. You talk about collaborative innovation 
and the ability to draw on diverse perspectives, especially when you've got global teams and you say, you know, create solutions greater than the sum of their parts. How have you navigated that um, during COVID, post-COVID? And has the remote hybrid changed the way you approach things or do you think it's enhanced creativity, collaboration and innovation? I think that um, I am one of the lucky people that I was already remote hybrid by the time COVID hit. So I think in some ways the transition for me wasn't as shocking and and uh, impactful. I did have a lot of members of my teams that were used to being in the office every day, especially if they were um, European or um, if they were Japanese, they were definitely more office people. So that was a big switch. I think they felt like they had to stay the same type of presence that they were in the office as they were at home. And my response back was, you were a human being. If I hear your doorbell, if I hear your kid, if mm-hmm. I see your kid, if I see your dogs, I don't care. You're still here doing your job. That's all that matters to me. Mm-hmm. Human things first, job second. Um, and I think that was really shocking for a lot of my team at first because they probably never had a boss who cared about what was going on in their house mm-hmm. because they didn't know. And now that we're welcome into the home like we are now, yeah. uh, it that is, it's changed the game of how... Um, managers and employees would interact with each other and how I interacted with my management as well. Same deal. Um, It almost sort of allowed a comfy sweater to go around us and be able to sit back in our chairs a little bit better. In terms of uh, the greater team uh, building and creativity around that, we would play online games together. Uh, And I'm not talking about like big online games, not like Call of Duty or World of Warcraft. I'm talking about like little silly games where you where you're like a little egg and you have a gun and you run around like a little arena and you just shoot at each other and you turn into yolk and it makes a chicken noise and it's very silly. But it's funny because I noticed the teams, because again, my curiosity, I noticed the teams actually didn't compete against each other. They would help the person who was struggling with getting the high, like a score to get on the scoreboard to start scoring. And they would show up in little packs of eggs and come alongside each other to sort mm. of use little shields so nobody could get them. And then you always knew who like who was the the outlier because they'd just be hiding. And so it would be one of those like, don't hide because we'd be on voice too, you know, like, let's go. Yeah. It was really interesting. That didn't work with every culture. It worked yeah. with a lot of cultures, but it was one of my favorite things that I that we did together um, because we still talked about work, but sort of in a different way. And it helped the teams bond because they could talk about it the next day or the day after, um, or they'd want to play again, which is, I think, fun. Mm-hmm. I think for my Japanese teams, they needed more support in terms of me saying, you're doing a good job. Everything's okay. This is what's happening. And then I'd give them all the space they needed to tell me what was going on. Um, And that's very hard for that culture. So um, being able to do that in this type of setting, you know, via Zoom or or whatever have you, um, was very important for me to make them feel comfortable. So it would be a lot of small talk, a lot of talking about my trips to Japan, how I felt about things, what I miss, and you know them explaining where they live and about, the, about, about their families. So that was a harder blend at first. But mm-hmm. then I noticed that their numbers started getting better for sales. Like they started becoming happier. They actually finished out my top team of the year that year because I just gave them extra time. Because nobody, uh, they always said to people, nobody bothers to pick up the phone when we call because of the time zones. And I said, as long as you have it scheduled into my calendar or my diary, I, I don't care. Um, I'll show up at eight o'clock at night or seven in the morning. That's fine. Like whatever you want me to do. I am here to work for you. And I think 
that heart center type leadership was something I loved when people did that for me. So I wanted to pay that forward and push out. And I had great results. I love that. Okay, my last leadership question is around sustainable growth. How do you sustain your growth in both your business and also in your own personal life? Sure. Um, so I uh, obviously, it's no surprise, Debbie said a couple times, I'm a foodie. So I definitely make sure that uh, I go out and eat food. And I, I push my adventure level a lot. Um, I've recently discovered that I really love uh, coconut ice cream and caviar and champagne. It's weird. I know that sounds so bougie. doesn't make any sense. It's amazing. If you get a chance to try, just go for it. Those kind of things I would have never tried I don't know, 10 years ago, that would have been like absurd to me. So I'm trying to try more adventurous um, meals, more authentic foods. I'm trying not to be so afraid of curry. I am marrying a British man. So obviously there's a lot of curry in my house um, and he makes it and it's amazing. But some of it is really painful. <laughs> my stomach's so It's an acquired taste. Yes. I'm learning. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Um, but it's not just that. Um, I discovered a love of reading last year, and that really pushed me a lot harder. And I'm not talking about like self-help books or like business books, because to me, that's part of the job. You just read those because that's what you got to do. But um, pleasure books. I read 50 books last year just because I, when I needed a break or if I took lunch or I had breakfast or um, I read before I go to bed, it's not only improved my sleep, it's improved my imagination. I feel mm. I feel more energized in a way because I have these stories that are sort of floating in my mm -hmm. head. Um, and that's really improved, I think, a lot of things for me. Also, too, I have given myself permission to just stand in the, the, uh, the ick, right? Just mm -hmm. the, I'm so embarrassed, I'm doing this and it's going to happen. And um, yeah, I'm going to sound like a silly person on this particular podcast or my own podcast. And I'm just going to let the ick happen. Um, we, and, we call that imperfection on this podcast and we love it. Yeah, I mean, I just, I've learned to stand in it more and own it and it's okay. Not every, and I have to remind myself that not everyone has it figured out. And if anybody has it figured out, they're probably lying anyways. And it's okay to feel foolish. Um, it's okay to to put yourself out there and to be brave. Yeah. Um, that is something that both on a personal and professional level has immensely, I think, improved my quality of life. I love that. And I, I love the intersection of your collaborativeness with others, with yourself, your curiosities linked between everything leadership to you. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four rapid fire questions. Don't think, tell us what's on the top of that brilliant foodie security mind of yours. First question, name a word or phrase that shows up daily in your leadership. Opportunity. Name a book you've read at any time in your life that was impactful. What's the name of the book, who wrote it, and why did it impact you? Actually, it's a series, uh, Sarah J. Mass's uh, Throne of Glass series. Really impacted me. I still think about that daily. Okay, third question. Here's the context. I'm granting you a wish. Yeah. You get to have a dinner with any leader of your choice. This leader could be living. They could have been already passed away. Who are you having dinner with and what's the dinner conversation? Just one person. That's hard. Probably Diane Fossey, who was the one that worked with the gorillas, um, who unfortunately was killed uh, while studying the gorillas. And uh, I would love to just 
talked to her about how she had the absolute gumption to do what she did and the tenacity to stand up for what she believed in to the point where it unfortunately got her murdered. Um, I would just like to have that conversation or I want to know the woman who mm-hmm. was that woman who got to that point. That would be life-changing to hear that conversation, to have that conversation. And I, before I have you uh, do the last Fab Four question, I'm going to say I, I knew this conversation was going to be delightful. I, I think your passion is infectious. I think your cur- curiosity is admirable. And I just want to when you wish you continued success in everything that you're doing. And congrats on being engaged. Thank you so much, Deb. I really appreciate that. And good luck with the curry. I, I, I align with you. I try. I'm not there yet, but I'm still going to keep trying. I will. I will keep trying. Thank you. So finish the show out by finishing this sentence. Heart-centered leadership is? Reminding yourself that you're human and you are working with humans. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.